Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 So God created man in his own image In the image of God he created him Male and female he created them And God blessed them Chapter 2 Verse 21 says, So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Together with me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. A truthful witness saves lives. But one who breathes out lies is deceitful. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. This is the word of the Lord. You can grab a seat. The pilot didn't know which way was up. This is what a crash investigator concluded. After going through the wreckage of a helicopter crash that claimed the life of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna, along with teammates and friends, they, they, they took off to fly that day. It was cloudy. It was chaotic. And the pilot of the helicopter ignored his training. The pilot did not use his flight instruments. The pilot became disoriented, believed that he was flying up when he indeed was flying down, and he crashed. The crash investigator went on to say that as long as helicopter pilots continue flying into clouds without relying on the instruments, which requires a high level of training, a certain percentage aren't going to come out alive. It is cloudy, it is confusing, it is chaotic in our culture. That is undeniable. And God's word tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And in no area does the does the Chaos and confusion and cloudiness reign more than in the area of human sexuality. And we are going to spend two weeks looking at what God would have for us. Now listen, I want to say this right out of the gate. The Bible also tells us this, that we should show mercy 
to those whose faith is wavering. So if you're here this morning and you're just doing a bit of wrestling specifically around uh, human sexuality and all the stuff that's going on around us, if you're wrestling and just confused, I want you to know you are in the right place and that here we are going to show mercy to those who may be wavering. So God, as we dive into this, I ask for your grace over this place. I ask that your spirit would hover over this place, that you would soften hearts, that you would open hearts, and that then you would work on the hearts of everyone here today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've been in Genesis. We are still in Genesis. And then last week we talked about the Imago Dei. That is that all of us, all of humankind, we are created in the image of God. And then we are essentially given this role where where we get to come alongside God and bring order where there is chaos. But as we dive into this subject of human sexuality, what we're really diving into is a clash of worldviews. In case you're wondering what I mean when I say worldview, think of of your philosophy of life. Think of your conception of the world. But I want to take it further. I want to take it to think of where do you go for authority, where do you go for knowledge, and where do you go for trustworthiness to build your philosophy of life and conception of the world? In other words, what is your worldview? What I would hope, what I would pray is that we would all have a biblical worldview. An American sociologist, his name was Philip Reeve, he he built out uh, uh, this this three-world model and and talking about worldviews. So I'm going to oversimplify it, but I think it can help us get a grip. So the first one, the first one that that Reeve described is a pre-Christian worldview. Okay, right here. Then then here we have a Christian worldview. And then over here we have a post-Christian worldview. And and, and societies will fall into one of these three worldviews. Now the first worldview, the pre-Christian worldview, this is a highly spiritual worldview. There is a belief in uh, God, but more likely God's. Uh, There's a belief in fate with those gods. There is a basic morality that then appeases said gods. And what, what, what is believed in this circle is that there is something outside of themselves that has authority knowledge to go to for morality. There is something outside of themselves. Then we get into the middle one, which is a Christian worldview, or you could say a Judeo-Christian. And and within this worldview here is uh, Judeo-Christian norms. This is where you get basic Christian teachings about the individual, all right? Meaning, listen, when when we are in societies that believe in individual rights, that comes out of a Christian worldview, The free individual within society, there's an ethical norm. There's a set of right and wrongs that need to be lived out within the culture at large. Now, in this this worldview, there is something, but really we all know it's actually there is someone 
that we look to outside of ourselves that has authority, that has knowledge, and can be trusted. And then that takes us into our third worldview, which is a post-Christian worldview. Now here's the thing about the post-Christian worldview. It cannot exist without the Christian worldview, meaning it is not pre-Christian, it's post-Christian, and it's not really post-Christian as much as it is, as it is anti-Christian. Well, what, what, what do I mean by that? It, it looks at the Christian worldview, the one here, and concludes that when this one was predominant, it went bad for people. This worldview is anti-Christian. It is also activist, meaning this is a reaction to and against this worldview. It is activist. It is also, it has now become the most evangelistic. It is aggressive. It wants to undermine, contradict, and tear apart the values of this worldview. Within this worldview, this is where we have seen the rise of the psychotherapeutic self. What does that mean? That ultimate reality is inside of me. Ultimate reality is inside of myself. The center of the universe is the expressive individual. The self is the moral ultimate in this worldview. The goal of this worldview is to live on the outside what I feel to be true on the inside. And now here's the thing about this worldview. This worldview wants a just and true and righteous world. But this worldview operates by justifying itself only by reference to itself. It's inside of me where I go for authority for trustworthiness, for knowledge. And this worldview tastes really, really good. But this worldview is very, very deceitful. This worldview is poison. The West is drunk on this worldview. Now listen, Springfield and the Ozarks is drunk on this worldview. See, see in this worldview, what happens is, is, is people want the blessings that come with a kingdom, but they do not want the rule of a king. And the core, you got to know this, the core of how you determine morality is through expressive individualism. Remember that word, the primary religion of this worldview, and it is a religion, is expressive individualism. Now listen, you got to stay with me. I'm just telling you right now, we're not getting out of here early today. There's too much work to do. So if you got lunch, just text whoever it is. 
expressive individualism. Now, a guy by the name of Mark Sayers, he's an Australian sociologist from Melbourne. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's also a pastor, and he's also uh, been described by others, not himself, as a culture guru. Well, what he did is he developed a, a core beliefs of this religion of self, uh, of excessive individualism. So just like you go to Hill City website, you will see a what we believe. Are you with me? Okay. And, and it's just like, hey, this is our doctrine. Well, listen, expressive individualism has a doctrine as well. There are seven beliefs. I'm going to share just four with you for time's sake. Okay. So here's one. Here, here's, uh, here's a belief statement of expressive individualism. The highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. That's the highest good. Now, Stay with me. This has permeated our culture. Here's how I know. As I was growing up, my parents would say this, this thing to me a lot, okay? And, and they needed to, but here's what, here's what they would say. They would say, uh, bud, the world doesn't revolve around you, okay? And it doesn't, and it, and it, and it but, but here's what I think. So I don't think young parents are telling their kids that anymore. Because I think they're afraid that it would be unsafe. Okay, now, here's another, way, here's another example of, of how this first statement, uh, a belief statement of self-definition, self-expression, and, and how that's ultimate is because, see, a bunch of you went out to eat last night, and you got your phone out, and you took a picture of your plate of food, and then you posted it because you think people should care. <laughs> they don't. They don't care at all. I don't care. The person sitting beside you doesn't care what you ate last night. And here's the thing. Some of you that posted that, you are so offended right now because they should care. Why? Because self-definition and self-expression is king. That's the first one. Secondly, anything, the second statement of belief, anything that restricts Individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. Third, the world, this is what they believe, the world will inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows. Now remember this, technology, in particular the internet, will motor this progression toward utopia. And the fourth one that I'm going to share with you, remember there are seven, but here's the fourth one, the primary social ethic. The primary social ethic in this worldview is tolerance. You, to you are tolerant of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. And any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated. <laughs> Now, that's a lot of groundwork. Stay with me. Why did I tell you all that? Because the primary battleground of worldviews is being fought in the arena of human sexuality. And listen, some of you are going to get so uncomfortable and you're like, going to get? I'm already uncomfortable. I know. Listen. You're going to be tempted to get angry. You're going to be tempted to coil back. I'm going to say some things. I'm just going to ask you to just hear them. I'm going to ask you to pray. And, and, and say, God, what are you trying to teach me here in this moment? And here's the first one. You're going to coil. And I get it, but here we go. Listen, the, the arena 
is human sexuality. If you compromise on human sexuality, it is a detrimental step down the path of abandoning the Christian faith. Let me say it this way. If you are willing to discard a biblical view of human sexuality, it is only a matter of time you will discard the gospel. Now, before I go on, I'm not saying that if you're wrestling with something, you're trying to learn, you're just trying to figure this out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you discard it and you've already done that, it is only a matter of time you will discard the gospel. And listen, if you think, no way, not me, like I, I, can, I can take the world's sexual ethic and still follow Jesus. If you believe that, it's one of two things, okay? And lovingly, you're, you're either really arrogant and think, no, I'm, I'm different than everyone else that's done this before me. Or you're just really foolish. See, Jesus came on the scene and he said, go and make disciples. Amen? Good. Amen. Okay. And then he says, listen, baptizing them. Amen? Amen. But there's the last sentence. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So hear me out. Listen. Jesus Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Nowhere. Does a Christ follower have the option to give less than, than his or her whole life to Jesus? There's, Jesus, I will follow you 88% and I'm going to keep the whatever's left. I don't do math. <laughs> I should have. Listen, but stay with me. All. See, here's what happens, guys. Our culture compromises in the arena of human sexuality. But you must know they don't compromise in the arena of human sexuality because they're being sympathetic or because they're being empathetic. They compromise human sexuality because they, they do not believe in Jesus as king and the God of Scripture. Because here's what our king said, if anyone would come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The call for all of us is to give our whole lives to Christ, to lay it all down. And our culture, this culture in particular, listen, we are swimming in the waters of expressive individualism. And this is a religion. And in this religion, the greatest commandment is to be yourself. And the second one is like unto it, to affirm and applaud whatever self your neighbor chooses to be. And within this religion, the greatest sin is to deny yourself or to deny someone else's self-expression. 
church. We have a creator. The one true and living God. And he's the architect. And he's the engineer. And he's the designer. And go back to what we said last week, the week before. If you make it, you own it. If you engineer it and you design it and you create it, you know what it takes for it to flourish. Now listen, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen, and you got to know this. He loves you and he loves his creation how do i know because of the new testament it says for god same god same one he so loved the world the one he created he loved you and he so loved it that he gave his only son that whoever would would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life does that sound like flourishing that sounds like flourishing He wants you to flourish, and he knows what it takes to flourish. So, so listen, so God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. I want us to stop and not brush over that. We have to see the beauty in this design. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Male. Female, and, then, and listen, he, listen he, he caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, he closed it up, and, and he, made this, he made this woman and brought her to the man. And what did the man do? Just start singing. It's beautiful. A male sees a female and just breaks out into song. We have to see the beauty in the design of our creator. But listen, we go to these passages to see this, and I want you to get it. Listen, male and female, according to God and to this instrument that he gave us. They are not artificial categories. See, in the Bible, sex and gender is fixed. And it's clear, there's male and there's female. And sexuality is fixed and it's clear. It's for marriage between one man and one woman. And God looks at it, and don't miss this, God, the creator God, the designer, the architect, the engineer, he looks at it and he says, oh, very good. So let us not miss this. God is Good. Amen, Hill City? Okay, he's so good. And God gets to say what is good. Amen, Hill City? And he looks at his design and he says, very good. Men and women are beautifully different. And both are equally made God's image 
And our differences, they extend to the deepest level of our, of our being. Our chromosomes are different. Our brains are different. Our body shapes are different. Our body strengths are different. Our reproductive systems are different. And God's design for male and female is that we are equal and we're different and we are intended but not interchangeable. And it's good. It's good. So, so, so here we go. What happens then? What happens when our psychology doesn't match our biology? In other words, Pastor, I'm trapped in this body. I, I'm a female trapped in a male's body. So, so listen, that, that, is a, that is a reality in our culture. And this worldview, remember, this worldview right here, expressive individualism, it would say self-definition is the highest good. Do whatever you need to do to realign your biology to match your psychology. In other words, be true to what you feel to be true on the inside. So you need to align your external world with your internal sense. And if you will do that, there is freedom. Where this worldview would say, the Christian worldview would say, the foundational essence of who we are, we can go to Genesis 1 and 2, uh, is defined first by biology, and not by our psychological self. So we align our psychological self to our physical self. And then this worldview comes in and says, no, 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 in order to help people forward, we need to socially affirm whatever individual choices one would make. And that's not that we just socially affirm them. See, this worldview started there, but now you must actually celebrate that choice because courage is them living out their truest self. And it doesn't stop there. If you don't celebrate that, you hate them. And there is no middle ground that is binary in this worldview. The most important thing is to allow people to live their truth. And a person should be able to have gender assigned by choice. That is this worldview. That's why you will see in this worldview the acceptance and, 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 and the, uh, the, 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 the tools, the modern tools that need to be used in order to alter biology to match psychology because self-expression is the supreme king in this worldview. And what we are going to say here at Hill City and what we believe in the Christian worldview is that, listen, if what I feel inside of me does not align with my biology, the wisest path is to make whatever choices that you can, get whatever help you can, and you need to do what all you can to align your psychology with your biology. And listen, it, we are not saying this is an easy route. It's going to be really, really hard. But I promise you it's not as hard as putting chemicals in your body and, and, and having surgeries done that, 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 just, that just mess you up for life and they're not telling you those stories on the internet. God has a design. He has a blueprint. 
But here's the thing. Don't miss it. He created us with the freedom to reject his design. But you need to know this morning, it shatters the heart of God when his creation rejects his design because he loves you. He knows what it will take for you to flourish. But you have to understand when someone rejects that design, they are not merely rejecting a really old book. They are not merely rejecting literally thousands of years of church history. When you reject the, design, the blueprint of the designer, you are rejecting the designer. So here we are, Hill City Church. And in the room, I know where some of your hearts might be around this subject. So let me just talk to those of you like, man, no, this is the worldview, and I'm not even really wavering on this, but, but, but just hold on. Because what might be the case is that, that you, you might be calloused when it comes to this. And what do I mean by calloused? Like, listen, if you're just like, those people, if we just get rid of those people, if, they, if we could get them out of society, everything will be okay. The world will be so much better. Okay, here's, another, here's another way I know you're callous. Like You're just looking for a fight. Come on, debate me. Debate me. Let me tell you how stupid you are. You know what I mean? We know them people, right? We know them. And some of you are here. Listen, if that's you, you're calloused. That's not what God would call you to. So, so then there's, an, there's, another, there's another group, and, and maybe you're not callous, but you're, you're cowardice. Like that's the reality in the room. Like you comply and you actually unintentionally or intentionally, you contribute to the confusion because your highest priority is to be liked and to be accepted. Now listen to me. As we talk about this cowardice, I'm going to tell you something, and this is going to get some of you twisted, but stay with me and, and agree to disagree. But look, most gender confusion is actually taught and not caught. Now, here's why I believe that is. Here's how I can support that. In 2009 through 2019, in a 10-year period, children referred for transitioning treatment in the UK increased 1,000% among biological males and 4,400% among biological females. In the United States, the number of children identifying as transgender doubled in the United States since 2017. Listen to me. Children aren't sexual until adults make them sexual. And I know it's being taught because that book is in almost every secular bookstore in Springfield and a bunch like it. Furthermore, parents, this is probably in your kid's elementary school. Now stop, hold on, pump the brakes. I'm not telling you to get your pitchforks and, and torches and go to the school and burn it down. Chill out. A coloring book isn't really our problem. Go back to the third belief statement that said this. 
The expressive individualists would say that technology, in particular the internet, will motor this progression toward utopia. Now keep in mind, we're still talking about those who might fall in the category of the cowardice. So I got to just talk to, listen, I know I got to talk to parents just for a minute. Okay, listen. And, and it's, college students, listen, because you all have phones. Parents, listen, these phones. And I'm not going to say, hey, we need to make a rule. Don't give your kid a phone. Give your, I'm not saying that. Listen, it's 2023. But on these phones, on these stinking phones, you have social media, you have TikTok, you've got Snapchat, you've got YouTube, you've got probably two or three others that I don't even know yet because I'm too old to know they exist. But they are out there, and they are feasting upon your kids. Parents, listen to me. Just imagine, let's say if a ravenous wild animal, I don't know, let's just say maybe a wolf, okay, hypothetical, uh, uh, would come into your home and try to eat your children. I don't think you're just going to step, go to your room, shut the door, and let them fend for themselves. They are going to have to go through you first if they're going to eat your children. Listen, these apps and this internet, there are wolves everywhere, and they want to eat your kids and I, I can't, I'm not even saying that strongly enough. You can't be cowards, mom and dad. You can't worry about if your kid is going to like you or not. So we're not going to be calloused. And we're not going to be cowards. I think God would call us to something better. And I think it would be to Compassion. Now, you're hearing that, I can, oh, yeah, amen, amen. Listen, what compassion is in this worldview is definitely not seen as compassion in this worldview. If we are going to follow our king and be compassionate the way he would call us to be compassionate, it is not going to be socially acceptable in this worldview. There is a disconnect Let's do this. Just imagine with me, okay? And I know this is be close to home, so I'm not trying to be insensitive. I just want you to imagine if there was someone who may have like a body uh, dysmorphia, right? And maybe that, that would lead to uh, being anorexic. And they came to my office, and, and their friend came, and they're like, hey, listen, she, she, she or he or whoever, man, they've got an issue. And I'm just like, just let them be them. Like, I don't know, I can't think of a more unkind thing to say in that situation. That lacks compassion. Because in that situation, you know, what, you know what's going on? The psychological self doesn't match up with the biology. So if there's a disconnect between biology and psychology, listen, lovingly, that is a clinical level mental illness lovingly and what should we do as people of God we should have sympathy listen that is a vulnerable vulnerable place to be and vulnerable people should not be pushed to make life-altering decisions that is some of the most unkind thing that you could do it lacks compassion and I want to go so far as say this it's actually demonic so Brad how do we show compassion and I don't want to state the obvious here, but, but people of God, this is going to sound obvious, but, but listen, I've heard some things. Listen, you don't make fun of people with mental disorders. 
Now here's even as important, more important than that, is as you are seeing this in your culture, in our culture, you have to see who the real enemy is. The real enemy isn't those struggling with gender confusion. The real enemy isn't even the thought leaders that peddle this junk. The Bible tells us what their issue is, and their issue is this, that they are blind. They are captives in a war. They are slaves in service to the real enemy who the Bible calls the prince of the power of the air. And here's what we don't do, people of God. We would never beat up a blinded person, would we? Because in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what do we do? Wherever they are on the spectrum in this, in this, uh, this worldview, we must pray for them, and God is going to have to do something. So maybe to the person, maybe you are in here, you're struggling with gender confusion. Maybe there is someone here who's already transitioned. What we are going to do is we're going to love them. We're going to listen to them to understand. We are going to acknowledge how hard it must be for them in life. We're actually going to be angry for them because anger does drive compassion and we are also going to get them help and we are also going to have the courage to call them to a better way. We're going to share Jesus. We're going to help them see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's what we're going to do. That's compassionate and our model is our king. Stay with me, Hill City. Our model is our king. In, in John chapter 8, there was a girl who was living a lifestyle, and it was ungodly and unacceptable in the culture. And guess what? She was surrounded by a bunch of religious dudes, and they had rocks in their hands, and they were going to pelt her, and she was going to die. And in walks Jesus, our model for compassion. And here's what I'm going to tell you. He wasn't calloused. Here's how I know, because if he's callous, he would have rolled up his sleeves and said, give me a rock, boys. This girl's the problem with society. If we can rid our society of them, we'd be better off. But he didn't ask for a rock. He wasn't a coward either, because if he's a coward, he would have walked up and he would have thought, oh, these dudes got rocks. Like if I say something, they're going to throw them at me. No way. And that's not what he did. See, he got down in the dirt and he just wrote something. And then one by one, these guys started dropping their rocks and walking away. And he looked at this girl who was living this lifestyle that was unacceptable in that culture. And he says, where are your accusers? And they weren't there. Now listen to me. Here's what Jesus didn't say. Hey, as you go out this week and you continue in this lifestyle, just remember how much I love you. That's not what he said. Jesus had unwavering conviction and ultimate compassion. He said, where are your accusers? They're gone. Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. You're serving communion. I want to invite you to go get the table ready. Some of you are hearing this, and I know what's going on. You're, 
you're a little bit hopeless. You're like, this worldview, it's just dominating. Like, what? There's just no hope. And I want you to know, as I study this, as I, as I got this prepared, and as I was praying over it, man, I was just overwhelmed with hope because I believe that the opportunity for a gospel awakening is so ripe. Furthermore, we are experiencing it, Hill City. It's ripe. People are seeing this worldview for what it is, and the chaos and confusion has overwhelmed so many. And go back to the job that God gave us, that we get to bring order where there is chaos. Listen, the sexual ethic of our day, it's not sustainable. People are going, I can't do it anymore. There's got to be a better way. And we're coming in going, just let me hug you. I can tell you there's a better way. So what do we do? It's simple. It's cloudy. It's chaotic. We turn to our instruments. Just like a pilot would that's flying when it's cloudy and it's chaotic. God's given us instruments. He's given us his word. He's given us his people. And he's given us his spirit. And what we need to do, and this is the call to Action Hill City Church, that we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Now stop before you amen, let's go, Lord. Let's just, just sweep across the nation and do something great. Listen, no, 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 that's not where I want you to start. See, this right here, this is not a worldview anymore. This is a hula hoop, Okay. So here's what I want you to do. Listen to me. When we pray, we're going to go, we're going to put a hula hoop, and we're just going to do this right here. Oh, right there. All right. God, this is what I'm begging you. Lord, I'm begging you. Would you just give an outpouring of your Holy Spirit just inside this hula hoop, please? Now, what if we all did that, and God would honor that, because I think that he would. And then, and then, moms and dads, listen, after we do that, dads, after we do that, then we, we prayed for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this hula hoop. Now we say, oh, what about the one around my house? Now, Lord, please, just around my home, would you, would you just outpour your spirit out on my home? In my, listen, in my dorm, just pour your spirit out here, and then, and then. Now listen, and then and only then, now we come and we say, Lord, God, please, would you please, what about a big hula hoop over Hill City? Would you pour out your spirit on Hill City? Please, Lord, do that. And listen, if we all did that, there would be an awakening sweep across Missouri State campus. It would blow our minds. Listen, it would sweep across Springfield, Ozark, Nixon, all of it if we would just do that. He's given us the instruments. We must rely on those instruments. God, we love you. And we admit we are confused. It's confusing. We need you. Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. So please continue to work on the hearts of your people. In this room, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.